when the Bible reading gets up, at the end, that was good. Come on. So good. So good to see you, everyone. It's lovely to be back. Missed you last week. I've had lots of concerned faces come up to me, um, be like, are you okay? Thank you for your care. Very concerned faces, like, isn't it the 27th time you've had COVID? It's like, no, no, third. But, you know, three's a charm. Let's leave it there. I'm hoping for no more. Thank you. But um, thank you, honestly, for your prayers and concern. And actually, I want to speak to folks at home who I know there's quite a few of you who've got COVID at the moment or recovering. God bless you, um, who aren't with us this morning, especially. Mm. Well, it's lovely... To be able to unpack God's word together. Just, uh, this one on is the, uh, uh, okay, have I got it on mute? Hang on. Out about that. That's better, isn't it? It got a bit echoey, but yeah, that's great. Okay, let me put this here. Um, fantastic. Um, it is, uh, good to be speaking to you this morning. It's good to be unpacking God's word together, um, as well. Can we bring up the, uh, PowerPoint? That'd be marvellous. Um, We're in our confidence devotional journey. So good last week to hear some of the stories about our front lines. The whole point in this um, uh, series is that we begin to realise that there are steps we can take. We can ask the Lord to help us have confidence on our front lines, in our workplaces, um, in our homes, with our friends, wherever it might be, that we're not just Christians on a Sunday and then kind of hide during the week, but actually we can live out our faith and be confident um, wherever we are throughout uh, the week. Um, It's been a gorgeous morning, don't you think? Hasn't the sun been just spectacular this morning, make you feel a little bit brighter? Um, If you're feeling a bit brighter, I'm about to put an end to all of that. I'm about to ruin that feeling um, by asking you a little bit of a difficult uh, question. What are your bad habits? I wasn't expecting anyone to answer. I'm glad you didn't. It's slightly embarrassing. We're all like, I don't have any bad habits. The person next to you is like, yes, you do. You really do. Um, okay, I want you to give me a chronometer uh, as to how much you don't like these bad habits. So first up, speaking with your mouth full. How about that one? Yeah. All right, this one, cracking your knuckles. <laughs> this one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Had to Google that. That was a good one. Um, picking your nose, that's not me. Um, <laughs> how about this one? Leaving the toilet seat up. Hey, gentlemen. <laughs> it was very hard to find um, any women doing any of these bad habits. So those knuckles are actually a, a woman doing that, but it's quite a medical website I ended up having to be on to find it. Mostly just men picking their nose, talking with their mouth full, cracking their knuckles. So I don't know what it says about us gents, but clearly we need to work a bit harder on that. Problem is with bad habits is we're really good at them, right? <laughs> Turns out they're easy. But not all habits are easy, not all habits are bad. In fact, some habits are actually really good. Some of them are even life-changing Um, the font's a bit weird there, but you can read what that says. A life-changing habit. Um, Today I want to talk about a life-changing habit that we are generally taught to learn and to establish as Christians. The habit of personal prayer and Bible reading, in particular Bible reading I want to think about this morning, um, regularly. Uh, The title was given by LICC, we're going through an LICC um, uh, series was confidence through consistent spiritual practices. 
And if I'm honest um, with you, when I read that, I found it a little bit uninspiring, that title. I was like, oh, confidence through consistent spiritual practices. Um, it felt like I had to stand up here and tell you how to have a quiet time and to make you feel guilty if you're not doing it. That's not what I want to do this morning. The truth is, some of you um, will be having a really good season of finding time in your day to regularly open the Bible to pray. Some of you will be struggling right now. Perhaps you haven't done it for a while. Some of you will find it more natural and easy to do this. You're more um, uh, habitual by nature with it. Others will find it tough to keep up with. Some might find it dry or hard to concentrate. I want you to know this morning, straight off the bat, this morning is not about shaming you or applying guilt on you if you're struggling with this habit. Said my prayer, my heartfelt prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will reignite in every one of us a new desire to draw close to God, to pick back up our Bibles with fresh enthusiasm, to get excited again about opening them and spending time with Jesus, deepening our relationship with Him. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing if God did that this morning in us? Um, before we go any further, I think. Uh, thinking about this uh, habit of reading the Bible in particular regularly, I want to start off with what I think has to be the right foundation to all of this. Because if we get off on the wrong foot, the wrong foundation, I think it can all go downhill quite spectacularly. Because um, I believe this hugely important habit should never start as a guilt-induced demand. Because that leads to dry religion, it leads to burnout. Instead... It needs to start by you and me hearing a personal invitation. It's the invitation of Jesus that Peter read for us so well this morning. He says, come to me. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover life. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me. It's a beautiful paraphrase, as Peter said, from the message of Matthew chapter 11. Words many of you will be more familiar with in the NIV, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want you to think about that just for a moment with me. When Jesus says, come to me, learn from me, who's he talking to? Because we've got one option to say, well, he was talking, Matt, to the people at the time. The physical Jesus was literally talking to physical people and saying to them, come and follow me, learn from me, and you'll discover rest. And if that's the only person he's talking to, we can kind of look at that and go, isn't that a nice thing that Jesus said to some people? But it doesn't really mean anything to me. But the second option, which is what Christians have discovered is true all throughout the centuries, is that when Jesus says, come to me, he doesn't just mean it then, but he means it now. And he means it for you and for me. That today you can come to him. Right now you can learn from him. In this very moment you can keep company with him. It's an extraordinary truth that you too can experience for yourself. When he says, come to me, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done this morning, if you're tuned in, if you're here, 
You're feeling good or guilty. You're feeling confused, exhausted. You're feeling happy. You're feeling excited. Whatever it is. He says to you, come. Come to me and you'll recover your life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It is an extraordinary invitation. It is mind-blowingly wonderful. We can come to the Lord of heaven and earth right now. And he will give us life and rest and teach us and make us more like him. Friends, it's not a duty, although there's nothing wrong with duty. We should be obedient to Christ. If he says, go there, we go there. He has the right to say anything he likes to us. And we, as disciples, want to say, yes, Lord, we will follow. But this is so much more than just a you must come and you must read your Bibles. This is an invitation to come. Not a labour, an invitation or duty to labour under a heavy burden, but an invitation to find rest and discover life in the presence of Jesus. And one of the principal ways we do that is when we give him time, when we open his word and spend time with him. Because the truth is, a little pile of Bibles here, what a thing I have in my hand. Honestly, what a thing I have in my hand. My next point is literally just excited by the Bible. Like, come on. If we could get our heads around what this is again this morning. It is in one sense just a book and a bit of a bashed up old book, this version. But in another sense, it's something of worth way beyond our comprehension. Not long from now, what is it, the 6th of May, the coronation, I believe, um, we're going to watch King Charles coronated. First coronation in 70-odd years, something like that. Certainly the first one in many of our lifetimes, though not all of our lifetimes. Some of you may uh, remember Queen Elizabeth II's coronation. But if the ceremony follows in the same way as hers did, at one point, I believe it will be the Archbishop of Canterbury, it might be someone else, someone will take the Bible down um, from its lectern and will present it to the king. And they'll say this, Our gracious king, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. The most valuable thing that this world affords. We give it to you. And you know what? They're not wrong. More valuable than the crown or the scepter or the robes or the throne is this book. The Bible. And I happen to have a copy of it in my hand right here, right now. It's true. And so do many of you. And if you don't own a copy this morning, it's partly why I've put them here. I'm just going to put these over by the coffee. If yours is lost or you, you don't, can't find yours, you've never had one, just grab one. We've got loads of copies here. The one thing you'll never be told off for is taking a Bible out of the church. It's fantastic. You can have one. You can have two if you'd like them. You want to give one away. Marvellous. There are plenty here. The truth is, when someone, anyone, reads this book with humility and a heart of faith, they cannot help but be transformed. When a human being like me and you read this regularly, we gain a totally different perspective in the world, uh, on the world and life. The first thing you probably gain is you realise that there is a higher authority than you. 
doesn't matter who you are, however high up in uh, education or business, uh, if you're an MP, if you're the Prime Minister, if you're the King, there is a higher authority to whom we're all accountable to. Do you know what? I believe that makes a difference in how we think and how we act. But as you begin to dig into it, you begin to hear God's promises. You begin to read the stories of how he's intervened time and time again in history, shown his faithfulness over and over and over again to a people that keep failing him. And you turn to the Gospels and you discover the compassion and the ministry of Jesus who came as the fulfillment of all God's promises, came to love us and rescue us. You read and listen to his teaching and here you discover unmatched wisdom and morals and truth and love. You discover the letters of the early church and and the way they're living out radically this gospel of love and trying to work it out and reach the world with it. And then as you turn to the end, and it's scattered throughout, you also discover God's heart for the future. What lies ahead where every tear will be wiped and every illness will be gone and God will make all things new. And as you begin to delve into it, the thing that you'll realise is that you and me, we are loved more than we could ever imagine because God gave everything for us to reach us, to call us by name, to save us, to change us, to have us as part of his good and beautiful plan and future. When we read this, when we take this in, we are changed. Our thought processes, our ethics, our resolve, our reasoning, our actions, our character, our understanding, our identity, our lives are changed for the better. What a thing I hold in my hand. 2 Timothy Three verse 16 says this, you'll know this some of you, all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These words in here, though written by human hands and human authors, are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The word here uh, that they use for God breathed is theonustos, Theo literally meaning God, and neustos meaning breath. They are God-breathed. And what happens when God breathes on something in Scripture? We'll turn to Genesis 2. He takes dust and he breathes on it. Life abounds. Humanity is born. Jesus, in John, John, I've got it written here, 16, says to the disciples, he breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they do, and their lives are changed, and the church is born, life abounds, when we let the Holy Spirit breathe on us as we read these God-breathed words, then we gain new life. Our life is enriched and transformed and changed. What a thing, I'll say it again, hold in my hands. Recently, Mark and I had the privilege of uh, sitting down for a coffee with Will and Judith Sawyers. They are um, two missionaries that we support. They work for Wycliffe Bible Translation. Primarily, their work has been involved in the Central African Republic. That's right, isn't it? The C-A-R. Extraordinary work that they do. And you think, oh, Bible translation, isn't that a bit boring? Well, it's quite technical, yeah, and it's quite hard work because what they do is they find tribal languages or local dialects that have never, ever been written down. 
And these people have no words written down, let alone a Bible. And they start from the very beginning and they begin conversations with them and start to learn how they say things and what they might be and start to put characters down and build an alphabet. They start from nothing. And it takes years of conversation and understanding and then they begin to use the alphabet and to talk to the elders and the people to understand how this is all working and where this begins to make sense. And they start to translate a word or a verse and then maybe a chapter and then maybe a whole book of the Bible. And eventually, as they go through this process, years and years and years of hard work and dedication and technicality and creativity and relationship and skill, in the end, they end up with the Bible written in the language of the people And they were telling us of how when the people realise that this Bible is then written in their mother tongue, that they can hear it and understand it, they were telling us how they have this service where there's such joy and celebration. People are literally dancing in the aisles because God's word is now accessible to them. They can now understand it in their own language. Wow! They know just how life-changing and valuable it is. I don't want any of us to ever get used to the wonder that it is that we have this life-changing book. We should never be, yeah, whatever. I've got a Bible. Who cares? Wow! You've got a Bible. And so have I. My prayer this morning is that God excites us again for this book, that he's central to our faith. If we want to grow more into the person Jesus wants us to be, we need to get to know it and read it. If we want to grow into the disciple that we want to be, if you're sat there going, I do want to be a real disciple of Jesus, because that's my heart. I'm not there yet. None of us are. But I want to be more and more a disciple of Jesus. Then we've got to put this central. We've got to be reading this, learning from this, being changed by this. I'm going to whiz this next bit really quite quickly, because actually the Bible should be central to our discipleship. John Stott gives us four words. I'm going to rattle through them. Um, uh, If you want to know more about them, uh, you can read them in his book, The Contemporary Christian. It's a great book. If you just want a foundation book on what it is to be a Christian, what it looks like, Uh, he also does one called Basic Christianity. They're both really good. If you're young in faith, new to it, you want to just go a bit deeper, I commend John Stott's books. They're really good. Um, But he gives us four words to help us understand what it is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. The first word is worship and he basically says, well all of us are called to a life of worship to worship the Lord our God, to love him with all of our heart, with our lives all that we are. Jesus said the Father's looking for those who will be, who will worship him in spirit and truth. The Father's looking for worshippers but if we're to be those who truly worship God then we first need to know who he is and what he's done and we discover that in the Bible the worship of God, John, Scott, John Stott says, is always a response to the word of God. And the second word that he uses is faith. Every disciple is called to a life of faith. Turns out that's quite important in our Christian walk. To believe, to have faith, to actually believe. But we don't just believe in ourselves or in some arbitrary ideas. No, we believe in God himself. And so if we're going to put our faith in God, we need to know who he is and what he's like and what his character's like. And what he's done in the past and what he intends for the future, time and time again, um, we see uh, Jesus trying to teach his disciples to have faith and then just getting it wrong over and over. It's okay, we all get it wrong. Some days my faith feels on fire. Other days I feel so weak and hopeless and I barely know which way's up and which way's down. But God is gracious and he says, come and know me again. He is the faithful one, faithful even when we are un faithful. Stop puts it this way, the more we meditate on God's self-disclosure in scripture, the riper our faith will become. 
Whereas without scripture, our faith is bound to be weak and sickly. Another word he uses is obedience. You know, this is an important one, guys. Might preach on it at some point in the future, because in today's sort of softer world, and I think lots of it is right, you know, a lot of the things we've addressed from the harshness is right in our society. We should be more understanding, more tolerant, more loving in many ways, but we have lost a little bit about what it means to obey and to get on and take something seriously, and we are called to do that to Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pledge obedience to him and to obey him, to follow him, He calls us to radical love. He calls us to mission. He calls us to humility. He calls us to self-sacrifice, to justice, to integrity. If you love me, he says, you'll follow my commands. He's not messing about, is he, Jesus, when he says that? But how can we know his commands without the Bible? Stott says once more, the Bible is seen to be indispensable to mature discipleship. That's where we learn the commands of Christ. And the last one, and I love this one, hope. Every disciple is called to be a person filled with hope. John Stott says, you can't be a pessimist and a Christian. I'm like, is that... I kind of get what he means. Do you know what I mean? You can't be a pessimist and be a Christian. Well, not if you've got your head around the hope that is in the Bible. We explored this in COVID lockdown. It's far more than just crossing your fingers, touching wood, hoping for the best. The extraordinary, robust Christian hope is a sure and certain trust that God has not given up on this world, and he never will, that the bully does not win. You need to hear this. Evil does not go unchecked. The proud will be brought low. The poor and humble will be lifted up. Every tear will be wiped. There will be no more death or illness or suffering or dying, for the enemy will forever be destroyed, and Jesus Christ will make everything new for all eternity. Wow. What a hope. I need to hear that. You need to hear that again this morning. I didn't just make that up. This is God's promise. And the promise is found in his word. How can we have hope in a world that seems so painfully damaged right now? We can have hope because God's not given up. And he never will. And his plans will come to pass. If it were not for the Bible, the hope that it arouses in us, directs and nurtures in us, then we could just, as many others do, lose hope. But it's there. It's part of our discipleship. Friends, if we want to grow as disciples of Jesus, we need to be saturated regularly in the Bible. If we neglect it, we shrivel. (laughs) I like that little picture. That's good, isn't it? (laughs) That one made me chuckle. I'm not going to use it. I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to use that. That's fun. Um, LICC did some research. We keep saying LICC, London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. They're the guys that um, have shaped this uh, series that we're doing and also the the individual Bible readings that are available on the Bible app. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, But they found that those who kept, Christians that kept regular and consistent spiritual practices, maybe every day, maybe every other day, uh, such as Bible reading and prayer and small group studies, that's life groups, were more positive had more sense of purpose in their lives, were more fruitful and were confident, more confident in sharing their faith with others. They saw more happen. God was more real in their lives. God's never more or less real. He's always God. He's always real. But those that had got into the habit of this regularly, they realised the reality of God and saw it more in their lives. (coughs) Friends, I love this thought. A king who sits regularly and humbly under the word of God. I like talking about kings. It's cool, isn't it? King's got a Bible, so have we. Um, a king who sits regularly and humbly under the word of God will be a better king. I believe that. Humbly. With faith. 
politician who sits regularly and humbly under the word of God will be a better politician. I believe that. A father or a mother who sits regularly and humbly under the word of God will be a better father or mother. I'm not saying you can't be a good father or mother if you don't read the Bible. I'm not saying that. Don't misunderstand. But I am saying they will be a better father or mother as they hear the word of God. They allow it to speak to them and change them. A teacher, a farmer, a business person, a technician, a friend, a colleague, a mentor. That person sits regularly and humbly under the word of God. They will be all the better for it. If you want to be a better disciple of Jesus, then find a way, friends, to set aside some time regularly to prayerfully open the pages of this extraordinary book. This isn't a duty, although sometimes it can feel like it. It isn't. It's an extraordinary invitation. And friends, if we're going to do this, realise that one size doesn't fit all. You may hear, well, this person does this and gets up at 4am and reads for three hours. I don't do that. That is extraordinary. I'd be asleep within 10 minutes. I can't do that. I'm not wired that way. But some are, and that's amazing. We're all different. Some open the Bible in the morning, some in the evening, some listen to it. However we do it, we need to find our own rhythm, a time, a place. We could be undistracted, open the pages with anticipation that God is going to change us through this. In many ways, although there are more distractions today than ever before, there are also so many more resources to help us. There are more, more distractions. Problem with having Bible on your phone. You know that, don't you? The ding, BBC News. The ding, TikTok. Ding, whatever it might be, Facebook. It's really, really tricky. You've got to work that one out. I've had to turn off all notifications. I don't, that's partly why I sometimes take like three or four hours to respond to a text. It's like, I don't want to know if it's there, because like, it's just distracting to me. Sometimes you'll need to just open your physical Bible, like, I need to put that away for a bit of time. But there is so much to help us. Um, I asked the life group leaders uh, to let me know on WhatsApp, what do you guys use? What's helpful to you? And what I'll do is I'll anonymize them, so the life group leaders don't break out into a sweat and go, oh, you're telling us all our secrets. I'll anonymize them, and I'll, I'll gather them, and I'll put them in refresh this week, so you can read what other people are doing and how they're doing it, what they recommend. I think that might be helpful to some of you. But here's some of the things they recommended. Encounter with God, apparently a really good um, uh, Bible reading notes. Lectio 365, lots of you will have this. It's a fantastic Bible app, both morning and evening. It takes you through um, kind of like a reflection and meditation. It uses God's word. It helps you to pray as well. Um, this is one I didn't know about. This is uh, John Piper. Um, who would be more of a Calvinist reformed uh, uh, persuasion. If you don't know what that is, don't worry, you could talk to me about it, but certainly an excellent Bible scholar. He does one, Solid Joys. Um, you version, the Bible app, if you haven't got that one, you've got a modern phone, you need to get the Bible on your phone. It's very, very cool, but as I said, it doesn't replace the uh, physical Bible. You also want one of those, trust me. Um, <laughs> we all need that sometimes. Um, but they also have Bible reading plans in it. Bible in one year, this is an extraordinary resource. The fact this is free blows my mind. An extraordinary resource, um, Nicky Gumbel, the, the, the uh, uh, guy behind Alpha, who heads up Alpha um, and does lots of the talks on Alpha, uh, has put together not only just the Bible in one year, so chunks of the Bible throughout the year, but lots of excellent um, uh, commentary. Uh, I found that really, really helpful. You can get it as an app. You can actually get it uh, physically, the Bible in one year. Um, uh, slightly different, but yep, that's one. Uh, the Fuel Cast. These are short five-minute films. This is our own Ali Tinson here. She's done a few of these. Lots of different Christians telling you in a short film um, uh, an encouraging word reflecting on Scripture together. Some of our life group leaders use that. Every Day with Jesus. Some of you go, oh, that one's still going. Yeah, it's still going. It's really good, turns out. Um, 
Daily bread, another one. These are ways people have found of nurturing their faith, of reading the Bible. Um, and I think I just want to say, for me, um, I also want to say, regarding prayer, I'm not talking about prayer much this morning. Don't forget, we've got 90-second nutshells on our YouTube account. If you type in CreechBC on YouTube, you'll find 90-second nutshells, which also might help you think about how you might pray uh, differently as well, whether it's journaling or prayer walks or examine uh, or Ignatian things. You can, you can have a look at that. But I want to stick to Scripture for a moment. I just want to say to you, I still keep a copy of the Bible reading notes that I read when I was 16, 22 years ago. 22? 22 years ago, um, when I first came to faith. I remember opening them, I read Revelation 21, it's why I love it, it's the bit where he wipes every tear from her eye, no more death or dying, I'm making all things new. And I read the Bible reading notes and I read the scripture and I went, God, if that's who you are and that's your heart, I want to follow you, I don't want to mess about, I want to give you everything. I do want to take you seriously, God, because you're amazing. And I keep a copy of those notes because they're precious um, to me. For the last 22, 23 years, I've been trying and striving to regularly read the Bible. And uh, sometimes for me, uh, some people must have the same thing every day. Um, I go through seasons. Something works for me for a season. I like to chop and change it. Others of the life group leaders are the same. Um, But sometimes I love reading the notes. Sometimes I just want to open the Bible. I just want to say I want to go to the Psalms and read through the Psalms. I just go, I don't want anyone else's notes. I just want to prayerfully read it this morning. Sometimes I really have found in seasons, uh, and again at the moment, um, an older voice from a different generation really helpful. Spurgeon, morning and evening, uh, cracking notes, because it will rebuke you and make you feel really awkward and uncomfortable. You're like, oh, that's helpful for me. I need that. Um, uh, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. Come on, even the title of that sends a shiver down your spine. My utmost for his highest. friend uh, in the church here gave me that uh, a few years back, and I love that one. 30 Days with Wesley. There are all sorts of things um, that are helpful. But I want to say to you, I want to be honest, I've had seasons where I've really struggled, seasons where I've almost given up and then gone again. 23 years of wanting to regularly read daily or regularly the Bible. And when I feel I'm far from God or feel discouraged and I've got out of the habit of it, which can happen, I ask him for a hunger for his word again. And as I sit there and open the Bible again after a while of not doing it, sometimes feels like coming back to a front door and being brave enough to knock on it and see if anyone's the other side and whether they're going to be pleased to see me. And what you'll discover, friends, is you don't have to coyly knock on that door. Father God throws open the door, throws his arms around you and goes, I'm so glad you're back. And I'm always so glad I'm back when I'm back in the rhythm of regularly sitting under God's word, as we all should. Truth is, I could leave the sermon here and I'm aware of time. But there's one more thing I want to say to you. Something that God's put on my heart to share with you. It might just be the most important thing. And that's that when we read the Bible, it's not just about learning facts. It's not even just about learning eternal truths. And there's plenty of those in here. It's not just about being changed ethically. It's actually about coming to know a person. It's actually about relationship. If I could have changed the title, it would have been confidence through building a relationship with Jesus. Because that's what this is all about. Jesus said it's possible to read the Bible and to totally miss him said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, these scriptures testify about me. 
It's me. When we miss Jesus, we miss the entire reason of opening God's word when we don't meet with him. Last time I spoke to you about Romans 8, I declared it the Mount Everest of Scripture. If Romans 8 is the Mount Everest, then our second reading today, John 17, which Peter read, it's like the inner sanctum, the inner sanctuary. It's the Holy of Holies. It's this moment where Jesus prays to the Father. And what does he say? He says this. He says, Father, the hour's come. Glorify your Son now, so that your Son may glorify you. Now, this is eternal life as he begins to pray for you and me and for his followers. This is eternal life, that they might know you and know Jesus, who you sent. And this word is extraordinary. It's not know about. It's personally, experientially, relationally, know. The Greek word is ginosko. It literally means to encounter yourself, to truly Truly know. And it's possible to know Jesus today. And if you want to, and go deeper in that knowledge, that relationship, open your Bibles. Get back into the Word. Sometimes when you read it, one of the first things you'll do is you'll begin to recognize his voice. Not just what's written in here, but sometimes God will highlight a word or a verse for you. It's almost as if someone knows and someone cares exactly what you're going through and it speaks to you and it either rebukes you or challenges you or comforts you or gives you wisdom. It's almost like someone knows and cares. That's because there is someone who knows and cares. And he speaks to you by the Holy Spirit. Matt, is that not just um, emotions and coincidence? No, I absolutely don't believe that. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice or my sheep hear my voice and I know them. God loves to speak. Jesus loves to speak through his word. And the second way of getting to know Jesus through the word is you begin to pick up his heartbeat. You begin to see what he cares about, what he loves, what hurts his heart. You get the rhythm of how our amazing God feels about this world, his heartbeat. And if I can ask the band to come back up, please, because we're just going to finish our time together by singing a couple of songs of worship, spending some time in Jesus' presence. But I want to finish... Um, with this thought. Scientists discovered something really interesting. They've done some research where they've hooked people up with uh, heart monitors and uh, uh, perspiration monitors and all that stuff. And they did first dates. And they discovered that when two people meet each other and there's a spark on that first date, something extraordinary happens. Their hearts begin to synchronise, their heartbeat. And I'll look this up to make sure I'm not peddling false internet rubbish. It's not false internet rubbish, and if it is, it's a very deep conspiracy, and I've not gone deep enough. But I genuinely believe this is true. This was legit, and I looked up in different sources. They've noticed that something happens. They're not sure why, whether it's the micro uh, twitches that the body begins to notice, and it's all done subconsciously. But the hearts begin to beat the same rhythm. I find that fascinating. As we open the Bible and we begin to see and hear what makes God's heart beat, our heart begins to reflect that rhythm. We become more like Jesus. They also discovered that it's not just when you first meet. People that have been together for years, put in a room, uh, told to face each other, not to touch each other, and just to copy each other's actions. And as they began to copy the actions of the other person, exactly the same thing happened. This was a different study. 
their heartbeats began to align. But it did not happen with strangers. It did not happen with strangers. I simply want to ask you this morning, is Jesus a stranger to you? Because if he is, he'd say to you, come. Come and know me. Come and open my word. Come and hear my heartbeat. Come and hear my voice. Come and get excited about who I am and the change I can make in your life. Come to me. Come and know me. I ask you to stand if you're able. Simply for you now. Just close your eyes if, that, if you want to do that. And let's just pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, I want to pray very simply for everyone in this room and including me and those at home tuned in, those watching afterwards as well. Lord, for those that are struggling with this habit of opening the word, pray that you would give them fresh enthusiasm this morning. They'd leave here excited about starting something again. Pray for those, Lord, who have given up. Pray you give them new hope, fresh fire, fresh expectation. I pray for those that have never started, have never really regularly opened your word. And I pray, Lord, that this morning <laughs> you'd so move in their hearts even now that they'd start something new and life-changing. It's an extraordinary new habit. Most of all, Lord, I pray that all of us come to know you better, would recognise your voice and reflect your heartbeat. For I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.